0: So the reason we did this next episode is because Evan and I have embarked on making this film called Rip It Up and Start Again, which is based on a book by Stephen Bieber. And so we thought, what better way to talk about the film before we even start making it than to talk to Stephen Bieber about his book. Let's Not Be Lazy Filmmakers, the podcast where we try to make sense of the world of filmmaking in Canada, episode three. Stephen Lee Beaver is an author and sometimes musician. He's quoted in quite a few Wikipedia articles, but he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page. He's the author of the 2006 book, The Heebie-Jeebies at CBGBs, A Secret History of Jewish Punk. And he's also written for a lot of other well-known publications. Stephen, could you please play some saxophone for us?
1: (laughs) You know, unfortunately, I don't have my sax here, or fortunately, because I'm very good at, like, Beefheartian sax, you know, Captain Beefheart, who who couldn't really play the sax, but insisted on playing it. So, Dying Moose in Agony, that's my my, uh, composition number nine. Uh, I have many variations on it, so if you want, I could go grab the sax, but we'll, I don't think, I'm not going to subject you to it, no. I'll
0: leave it up to you, Evan. Do you want to hear... Stephen plays saxophone.
2: Uh, if he wishes, absolutely, I'm game for sure.
1: How, how much do you have for royalties? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me let me chew on that.
2: Yeah, let's 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 postpone the, the saxophone solo. Yeah, for yeah. Then, he's, uh, he's
0: not even allowed to leave his desk to go to get his package. He can't go get his <laughs> saxophone. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, and I will tell you, I'm wearing uh, briefs, not boxers. So you know, okay, like, well, A dated Clinton saxophone reference. You know, I figure is always. <laughs>
2: <laughs> before we get into this uh, wonderful book which uh you know i we have a secret you know our bias is that we've actually we want to make a movie about this book we'll get into that later i wanted to get a bit of your background steve where how you became a writer why yeah. kind of that kind of the kind of the biographical elements of the podcast
1: the why you know i asked myself that why <laughs> the easiest life but you know like lou reed said he can't do anything else you know he was gonna be a songwriter or nothing um i'm just not good at other things you know and i like writing i i it makes me sane mm. somewhat uh less less unsane i won't say insane um no i mean i you know i remember when i was in grammar school saying to myself music or writing what's it gonna be and I thought writing, you can keep doing until pretty late. Uh, music, you seem to kind of fade away there at some point. So, um, you know, I, I, I always liked writing. I, I don't mean, I sh- I'm joking, but I really just, it's my thing. Uh, fiction, nonfiction, even a little poetry now and then. I won't subject you to that any more than my bad saxophone playing, but. Well, too bad. Yeah um is that does that answer i don't know i mean i could you know that's a that's like a memoir in the making i could go on for the rest of the time about why i'm a writer
2: you you married those two passions of music and writing with
1: uh with the book yeah 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 you know i mean to me writing is a kind of music you know the sound of words and and uh the rhythms uh beats you know all of that and music has always been a huge part of my life i love music i uh you know my only other talent i think is name that tune if that show was still on the air i can hear like a split second of a song and and get it uh so there makes be something in my dna i don't know i you know my not, last name is bieber and there is a composer who spells it correctly i guess we spell it incorrectly but you know jews and ellis island who knows what they did to our name um and yeah the book uh wed that and i guess another i I don't know if i call it passion maybe an obsession with being jewish i'm a jew from the south from atlanta georgia and i often think that it's about as close as you could be to being an old school jew from the old country like you know my great my grandparents all immigrated from the russian empire and I assume they said to themselves, let's escape a land of oppression and anti-Semitism and go to America and try to find a place that's, you know, equally anti-Semitic and uh, you know, hate, hate, hateful of Jews. And, you know, they did. They got to Atlanta and right away there was the infamous episode of Leo Frank where he was lynched. Uh, that musical parade is on Broadway right now, uh, a revival of it, because we're back in a good era of rising anti-semitism which seems to be a perennial kind of fashion that comes back in style like hold on to your big lapel coats and ties and they're going to come back in style and you know anti-semitism is back so anyway my book was kind of a wedding of those you know those those passions obsessions you know music writing and, and and Uh, the uh, place of Jewishness in the world of being a Jew.
2: What makes the book super cool to me and why I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to making a film about it. Thank you for, 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 you know, partnering with, with, with us. um, Yeah. It's at, it's at the, it's at the intersection of uh, music, of culture, of humanities. Uh, You know, the access that you had in that book is extraordinary. Uh, It's a wild, wild story. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe, I know we can't talk about everything in the book and people have to stay tuned to either read it or watch the film, but are there stuff that's, that sticks out to you even now about the anecdotes that you wrote about, like six, 17 years later?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the writing of the book was kind of a fascinating process for me. Uh, it was a little bit like Watergate, like follow the money. Like I kind of had this idea and it just grew and grew and grew. The more I looked into it to being much more significant than I originally thought. Uh, when I started, it was kind of, I just noticed that there were a number of Jews in punk and that punk was one of the only rock movements to come out of New York, which is strange because New York is such a cultural center, but lots of cities have, you know, their sound, the San Francisco sound, Seattle and grunge and, you know, jangle alternative rock from Athens, GA, and but New York at that time, at least, it was really pretty much, uh, you know, Velvet Underground still low, and they weren't a movement. But then there was punk. Why New York? The more I looked into it, the more you know, Jewishness, and these kids who grew up at a at a period when the idea of being Jewish was entering the consciousness of the country in a huge way in part because of the Eichmann trial, you know, uh, Adolf Eichmann, who uh, organized the Holocaust in many ways was put on trial in 61, 62. And people like Joey Ramone were kids and they grew up watching that uh, soap opera in which people were turned into soap. You know, it was on TV every day, excerpts from it, Uh dark, horrible soap opera. Anyway, while writing the book, uh, you know, I, I kept finding people who were like secretly Jewish <laughs> and it was a big deal for them. And a lot of them kind of didn't want to admit to what element it was, even if it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't cool to be Jewish. Right. So like my, one of the big ones was Tommy Ramone, uh, who I just I love talking to, you know, the original uh, person who put together the Ramones. He kind of got those guys together. He was the uh tried tried to teach people the drum part he couldn't teach anyone so finally he became the drummer he was their manager slash drummer slash creator in many ways and he was a child of holocaust survivors who came to uh, the united states when he was about 8 from hungary from budapest they had barely survived the holocaust and he hadn't told anyone he was jewish for most of, really like when he talked to me it, you're like I didn't know he was Jewish. And I asked, he finally said it, you know, he says, but he was paranoid. Like, are you trying to out Jews with this book? Uh, He was scared. Uh, So that was, um, that was revealing to, to see how much of that played into his sense of being an outsider, a punk and a kind of, you know, that image that like Hitler had of Jews is neurotic you know, scary anti-heroes. I mean, not that he would have called them heroes, but they were alternative to the Aryan tough guy, you know, like humorless Nazi with the uh, going to the gymnasium all the time, right?
2: Steve, have you had anybody, I guess, like maybe from the non-Jewish community uh, who've read the book or are interested in the punk movement, said, oh, this is entirely incidental. Oh, yeah. Just, the, oh, yeah. What's your coincidental incidental what's your what how do you respond to to that i feel like with a
1: well there, there, there are a few ways i mean one of them is like it's a uh, you know a lot of black people are involved in the blues i guess it's just incidental that 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 they happen to be you know <laughs> the blues has nothing to do with being black and oppression in america obviously or jazz for that matter um uh, it's funny you get jews like people don't feel funny like i guess because I could go. I don't know. There are lots of reasons why maybe people. I think people love punk so much. They don't want to feel it's owned by anyone. And I don't think that. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that punk is Jewish. What punk is, at least in the beginning, and there's lots of kind of punk, uh, but the birth of punk, I think, has a lot to do with the Holocaust and that experience of seeing the darkest, darkest potential in Western civilization, right? That, uh, I mean, if punk was anything, Jewish or not, it was critical of the culture. It was political in that way, right? That everything was fucked up, rip it up and start again. That was one of the kind of mottos. And it's not surprising that a lot of Jews who grew up, Aware of that horror and aware of the place of being kind of, even on a mild level, outsiders and, and maligned and, and thought of as uncool and losers were kind of pissed and and wanted to critique the culture and and say something about, you know, what is cool? what You know, is it cool to be Dobie Gillis, you know, the guy from the 50s TV show, like a jock? Or is it cool to be the smart-ass beatnik Maynard G. Krebs? You know, Krebs sounds kind of Jewish, kind of crypto-Jewish, right? So that uh, like, whole beatniks were kind of like that. A lot of them were Jewish.
2: Yeah, Ginsburg, for sure. Yeah. Um, do Do you think? What do you think? Non-Jews can pull from this book?
1: Yeah. Again, I, I I know I start talking about Jews, and I'm really not trying to say it's not applicable in huge ways to non-Jews and punk is is not just jewish it's it's about difference it's about accepting difference it's about outsiders it's about what makes someone inside you know and it's about being honest like anger right you know like the there's there's so many overlaps with uh early rap in a way which was instead of the smooth r b it was like the anger of the streets punk is the anger that was like buried under a lot of melody in people who felt marginalized and i think lots of people feel marginalized you don't have to be jewish to feel marginalized you don't have to be jewish to like arnold's jewish rye was that old
2: yeah there's totally a there's a universality in that
1: for sure absolutely absolutely so i mean just because Whatever, whatever confluence or reasons you know that that it became began there i mean there's a reason it it spread and it took on slightly different characters everywhere it went i think that does say something about the cultural component um right like you get to dc you've got straight edge straight edge which is extremely overtly political well washington dc i mean what where are you not going to be thinking about politics and uh, skateboard culture. It was a much more uh kind of hardcore kind of teen driven scene there. Um not the kind of heroin uh you know <laughs> rough around the edges, New York gritty. Um you know, I, I don't know. I, I do hear a blowback from people. And I I hope uh I don't unintentionally seem to be saying that punk is not everyone's and not for everyone and not applicable and you know embraceable by everyone so.
2: no I, I I agree with you I, I think that um you know if you remember that old skit on Saturday night Live Jew not a Jew to sort of uh and right. I think it's not you know it's not only Jews othering themselves I think that it's, it's just this phenomenon of othering Jews get othered um and I kind of had a strange experience with that myself when I was filming a documentary in uh, Northern California in a trailer park, a murder, yeah. a murder, a murder, done murder, it murder documentary. And we just, we was like taking a break from filming and the name, and Drake came up and I was like, not only, Hey, not only is Drake uh, Canadian, but he's also Jewish. And they're like, and it was like this, like this, this kind of like Paul came over people. Yeah. Like, like one, one of the women, who was really like a big fan, fangirl, was like, like, what are you doing? Like, because in denial, what you, she's Puerto, Puerto Rican. What are you talking about? Like really significant, aggressive blowback about the fact that Drake's mother was, <laughs> Drake was Jewish. And I realized in that moment, like, wow. Like there was like an absolute insistence. She could have easily gone and Googled any of this stuff. I was like, no, and he was on like a TV show called Degrassi, Degrassi Junior High in Canada. This iconic, you know, kid show. And yeah. uh, I couldn't believe it. Like, just like the, like, whoa, like somehow... Yeah. The fact that Drake was Jewish just it was it was really anyway. I kind of experienced a little bit of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to think it's anti-Semitism, but I wonder sometimes because people seem really upset that like what that it would be Jewish. <laughs> With that said, I think a lot of it is the people, the Jewish, a lot not just the Jewish people, but the Jewish people as well who made punk were about moving beyond labels. Like Richard Hell is part Jewish. His thing was, you know, blank generation. <laughs> It wasn't that they were apathetic and blank. It was like, don't put a label on me. I'm blank. I define myself. I think if, like many people, but Jews, for good reason, really wanted to move beyond the the label of being the Jew, right? There's, there's a reason so many Jews were originally members of the communist movement when it started, or socialism when it started, is uh, it went beyond religion. Right. You weren't going to be held back by religion. You were going to be moved beyond that label. If you were the Jew, you were just a comrade. So it's it's ironic. Right. Why so many Jews? Because Jews do, didn't want to be thought of as just Jews. <laughs> right? So, like who who more who more to not be identified as a Jew than a Jew? Exactly.
2: Um, you can't do more of a 180 than to go
1: from like a doctor, lawyer or an accountant
2: to sort oh, of you know lighting yourself on fire on stage yeah, and spinning up right, you know right. with punk music
1: when you asked me like what got me into it the wedding of the three things really more than anything it was like i i was so sick of growing up of being a, a jewish kid of hearing like oh simon garfunkel and neil diamond and barry manilow it's like fuck that that's not <laughs> you know uh, i mean it was like thank god there are these other examples like you know role models i needed a role model mine was joey ramon yeah and that that's that <laughs> there's a, it, it's so counterintuitive that's really the bottom line like who would have thought all these singers who were wearing swastikas and going on about you know blitzkrieg bop were jews i mean that was the big surprise to me and and then it like was sort of obvious after I thought about it. Like, who else would be obsessed with that stuff and preoccupied with it?
2: the uh, The biographical uh, uh, biographical anecdotes about these kind of punk icons, like from the Ramones to Lou Reed, is is a terrific part of the book and and really one of the reasons why I gravitated towards wanting to make a documentary about it. Have you ever thought when you were writing this because it's such a heavily archival book and there's a lot of well photo archives, video archives. I mean, it's just it lends itself so perfectly to non to unscripted uh film, like a documentary. Was that ever in your mind while writing it or after you wrote it? Or yeah, was
1: that ever
2: something like that as a kind of an ancillary project to this?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I debated with myself at the time, like, should I be filming these interviews? One, I have no idea how to do film. That's your job, right? I'm no good at that. But two, I didn't want people to feel self-conscious or me self-conscious. I regret it now, though, because, I mean, there were so many great moments. I was like, Joey Ramone's mom and I in her apartment, um, and she served me bagels and lox at the end of the interview, and I'm like, I really don't like lox. She's like, you're a nice Jewish boy. How can you not like lox? No, I hate lox. I've never liked (laughs) lox. I like them. She's like, eat some locks for me. Come on, just try it. Just try I'm like I'm, I'm telling myself, like, fuck, Joy Ramon's Jewish mother is saying, eat, boobala, eat. I better eat. Ate it. It was good. I was like amazed, like, oh, this is really good. Like a week later, I thought, oh, I saw, you know, it was in a deli so, like in New York, because I was still there. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have some bagels and like hated it again. Never liked it so. So only with Joy Ramon's <laughs> mother did they taste <laughs> right. Um, so I, whatever that means, you know, then there were all kinds of crazy experiences, right? And I, I mean, Linda Stein, you know, the co-manager of there, Seymour Stein's wife, who with uh, Danny Fields, uh, was the, their original manager, <laughs> met her in her her uh, apartment in New York. and I, I was asking her about, you know, being Jewish, did it play a part at all? and she's like stood up and she's like i realized like an alcoholic i'm a i'm a you know i'm a woman i'm a manager and i'm a punk and she was shaking her fist to the heavens you know i thought like oh god so a shame you weren't there we could have gotten that on film like her her moment of uh you know hitting rock bottom or insight i don't know what it was that she you know she really came to her revelation right there like i, I like i saw a born again experience and linda stein from the ramones um i don't know i'd have to think they were just i, I mean i did a hundred and fifty odd interviews you know uh, you, you... around from one bar to another with dear france here i could barely you know, stand up i don't you know i can, if i had if there were anecdotes i can barely remember them at this point um,
2: you you te- you're teaching you're teaching creative writing now, right? You're a pro- you're a professor? Yeah, yeah.
1: I've been, I've been teaching for oh, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years now, I guess. And uh, I teach English, creative writing, fiction, nonfiction. Uh I'm a, you know, I write fiction as well as nonfiction. This book obviously is non-fiction. <laughs> well, PBGBs at CBGB's right here. Right here.
2: There it is. Let's have a there it is. In boom, zoop, zoop.
1: There we uh, go. Um, nice. And uh, but no oh, no, I write fiction as well. I'm uh, busy uh, editing a novel for uh, an agent right now. So um fingers crossed that we are talking about that next time on your podcast. You know, make you, go, you got it. Yeah, uh, you know.
2: Do you um do you teach nonfiction how to write nonfiction film? Like doc writing in, or the
1: past, in the past I taught screenwriting, not specifically uh documentary uh writing and most of what i do right now is like you know uh personal essays profiles um cultural criticism memoirish kind of pieces but uh when i was teaching screenwriting you know it's the same i guess with documentary i think of it as is story all of it boils down to story like classic story structure where you know i love the the fiction terms that are used like uh you got an unstable ground situation right you got something where there's something under the surface that is troublesome and a person is is been dealing with it for a long time and then they're thrown out of whack right and they have to face that thing and the most of the story is facing that conflict so with punk um if i was going to think about it in story terms you know it'd be the jewish situation had been there uh since world war ii um you know in new york and then along comes this eichmann trial and stirs up the real confrontation with it and you know, that mixed in with the Lenny Bruce and which Lenny Bruce talked about the Holocaust a lot in his act. He was a he, he, that was during the Eichmann trial. And he was what the so many of the punks who I talked to, he's like their patron saint, you know. A Jew, by the way, Lenny Bruce, in case you don't know. So patron saint of a sort. <laughs> uh, you know. Um and you know, then the then the trying to 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 find this new definition of being a Jew, I think it's really what so much of punk was about. And for others, so a new definition of what it meant to be, uh, you know, civilized, what it meant to be like part of the culture. Like, you know, if you look at punk and new wave, the kind of version watered down in some ways, but different version, so much of it makes fun of the fifties uptight, you know, classic strong jawed pipe smoking guy, church of the new mind and all that. So, so it's all like a a rebellion, a reassessment, a, a reimagining of what it meant. And they and they were sick of hippies too, obviously, right? The whole Peace Love thing seemed like bullshit. That's the hippie and, and the hippies were always I think it was a it was oversimplified. I mean there were the hippies and abby hoffman and and guy sds blowing up shit and a lot of the punks came out of that um you know martin rev from suicide was uh uh, anti-war alan vega of suicide there were big anti-war people who were involved in protests i wouldn't say violent necessarily but i don't think they were entirely I don't want to say they, they were in favor but I think they would have understood the impulse to turn those protests violent if that was the only means to to stop the war um so yeah and the know, band. yeah go ahead tori
2: you know no, you know when you're like hearing you speak about this and speak, speaking about it through different eras when i first came across the book i i loved it and i and, and the challenges were is this like a series like this is this is going to be a big Big challenge to make this into a, even just a feature doc because there's so much material. And we, you and I have struggled with that discussing narratives. And I thought Noah, was, did it like, we were able to just sort of synthesize the material as tightly as we could, of course, you narrating it. And that may end up being, what we end up doing in this film is that you're kind of the spine and it's your narration to mm-hmm. sort of begin to sort of bring it, glue it together. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging because it's such a huge endeavor. It's really encyclopedic. And then you want to tell the story of the giants, the recognizable names, and then be able to tell that story through the massive amount of archives that are available. It's, it's going to be a great challenge, but it's a, it's a yeah. big, it's a big deal to, try yeah. to tell the story
1: in a, as a doc. In a sense it is right. And, and I have a tendency to kind of go with the ideas when I talk about it more than the, the anecdotal biographical stories that bring them to life. and And that's, that's, whatever how i approach it sometimes and i think it maybe uh over it for people because there are lots of strains yeah comedy politics you know the holocaust all that comes into play but then you have people like lou reed you know founder of the velvet underground and godfather of punk and his story follows all of this you know it's like you just do a biography biography of him and you've got the story of punk and its jewish component and so here's a guy who was the ultimate dark kind of tortured artist you want to think of but funny he like you know his his live album uh take no prisoners live is like a Lenny Bruce act. It's, it's you know, he's just, he, he's viciously funny and singing songs about dead bodies piled up in mounds. And by the end, he's denouncing any Semite, Semites and going to Israel and, you know, part of the downtown Seder. So, you know, he had, was obsessed with Nico, a, a German blonde, blue-eyed model who was, uh, her brother was part of the Hitler Youth and when she broke up with him during the velvet underground she announced in front of everyone there like i can no longer make love to jews i cannot make it <laughs> and he was like like so crushed that the john kale uh said that they had a suicide watch for him that night you know they didn't want to make sure he didn't kill himself so you know linger on those pale blue eyes whose pale blue eyes was he obsessed with and you know he's he's just like the and he's been described as a classic non-jewish boy in secret right you know like he doesn't want to be thought of that way and he he was tough but he was also a cream puff and he was so his story right there is like just tell it you got the story of jews and punk he he is the essence of the heebie-jeebies at cbgb's in some ways um ramon too you know another another classic kind of Kafka-esque character who metamorphosized from uh, a little Joseph K scared going like freak thought of as a freak by people barely talked was like weighed six foot six I think he was weighed like something like hundred and ten pounds. I mean he was like a uh concentration camp survivor uh and a victim not even a survivor and became a rock star and thank god for that and made him uh like an uber mitch. you know he was like, everybody talks about what joey was such a mensch you know and he was like the nicest guy in the world uh and he was up there you know doing his his like look if you look at this picture here on the cover of the book actually there's another one that's even more so but he kind of used to do this you know that Gabba Gabba hey, Gabba, Gabba, hey. I'm trying to do it in the camera here to see. <laughs> Nazi salute. So um, you know, they they were they were like the the victim became the uh, the the winner, you know, the the not the oppressor, but he became like a, a the Uber was the Nazis dream, right? It become the Uber, the overlord, the over the the uh, the overman, the big the superman. And Joey was like a superman, super, super nerd. It's like the nerds win. Revenge of the nerds, you know.
2: I remember I remember having to also bust your balls about trying to get Canadian content in this this film, being Canadian filmmakers and you being yeah. uh, um, <laughs> I'm happy
1: to do it. I mean yeah, I not that you know who you know who does kind of fit? And I mean you might not think of him as punk, but um Leonard Cohen is right up there with Lou Reed from that period he's like dark poet, Lou Reed thought of himself as a poet, fic- you know, writer and was friends with Delmore Schwartz, his teacher and Leonard Cohen, it's dark you know, I mean you make it darker, that's his whole thing, and he was it's interesting. interesting, yeah grandson of a rabbi, of a rabbi and, um, and really kind of a punk not a hippie, for sure around the 60s, definitely not a hippie um so you could you could put him and I don't know you'd have to spike up his hair or something. That's always been a bullshit anyway the punks didn't really have, very few had that spiky hair. Richard Hell did. Yeah.
2: <laughs> How would you classify punk when you think of the
1: name? Oh god. Oh that's so hard. Yeah, people are always like what is punk? And that's like one of those things you can debate forever. What is punk? I mean, to I you. Say, to, you. To, to me um raw raw honest um i mean if we're talking emotionally musically raw you know it was back to basics it was meant to like prog if it, if it reacted to anything it was prog rock you know that kind of idea that you had to be not just proficient at your instrument but um over like that that um, that to get across uh something of importance meant to be complicated and it you know classical music was doing the same thing if you ever read a book called um um what is it love goes to buildings on fire i think it's uh taken from a talking head song will hermes great book about all the rock movements that came out of new york at that t- all the all the music movements i should say that came out of new york at that time the rock was punk minimalism in classical music like Philip Glass and those guys the repetition very simple you know um and that's what John Cale came out of for the Velvet Underground he brought that element into their music so yeah the the simple being not simple being profound being um speaking to the basic really honest feelings that are that are inside of us uh you- can I add one other small thing before you say? It's got sure. to be funny. Punk is fu- the beginning, at least. The original punk, if you look, you'll see how funny all those songs are. I mean, and again, Jews, I think people say, what's a Jew? Usually funny pops up there somewhere, right? At least American Jews, 20th century Canadian Jews, Mordheim, Richler, He's pretty funny. Duddy um, Kravitz and all. Anyway, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. You want to ask?
2: No. Do you do you watch do you watch documentaries? Are you someone who watches some dogs? Yes. Yeah. yeah I like.
1: The, I love documentaries. What What's the one I watched recently? Most recently was. Um, um, I'm blanking. Um, but I. Oh well. Last night I fell asleep during it because I'd had about you know. Come two, on, Steve. Five shots of. Uh, I'd seen it before. In my defense, it was what the same uh, time. And I had about six shots of Irish whiskey last night, a uh, delayed St. Patrick's Day celebration. So I was watching Gimme Danger, uh, you know, the Jim Germ-Nush, uh Stooges documentary. Okay. That was enjoyable. Uh, so it's a repeated viewing. I recently rewatched No Direction Home, the Bob Dylan uh, doc. is a great Scorsese Um so you're mostly like you like
2: mostly like music. You're into music docs. You like music docs.
1: Yeah, but not just. I don't know. You know, I have no memory anymore. I'm completely uh, like my brain is mush. Like I need to GPS to guide me places. I need a. I need to look at my phone to see what I've done in the past day. So I know. There I- so,
2: have been so many great. You know, I loved it. it might get loud. You know,
1: American Hardcore. Oh, that was great. Heavy yeah. metal
2: parking lot. R- even Rattle and Hum.
1: U2's Rattle and Hum.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. What's in the the Joe Strummer
1: documentary is great. That's a good one with the around the fire. Uh, yeah, fire, Yeah, that that was. I really liked that one too. Oh, I know which one I really liked. It was the, if you're talking music docs, was the Danny Fields uh, uh, documentary? Um, uh, Danny says, uh, you know, and Danny's the 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 zealot of punk. He was everywhere. He's like the man behind the scenes, uh, and he's in my book, and. uh yeah, so that one is music docs go great. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of the other non music documentaries I've seen recently. I know I've seen some good ones. Uh, you know, you.
2: I love. Um, I love. You know, I PBS. I, both countries have very different history of of, of producing documentary. Canada has a more uh, like broadcasters tend to. There's a, there's more of a funding agency in place to make films protect Canadian culture content. I'm not sure U.S. has the same kind of system in place, although PBS has a history, right, with uh, uh, with American Masters and with Point of View. Right. Uh, I, I saw one of the films that I really loved uh, was Eugene Jarecki's film, The King, about Elvis Presley. Mm. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's a great film, and what I love about that film is that it's at the intersection again of humanities, culture, and politics.
1: Mm. And they
2: drive across the country in and, and Presley's '63 Rolls Royce. Mm. To sort of get a pulse on the nation. This is just right before Trump. Oh, wow. And and how and the kind of the message of the film is that Elvis is kind of a metaphor of white America not doing enough to to integrate or stealing African American culture and music. It's a very interesting and it's a very controversial, I think controversial film. But it's great in how it sort of speaks to those uh, those stories and how they use this Rolls Royce. With different American musicians playing, like in the back seat as it drives across the country, cool. I thought that was just a terrific film.
1: Oh, I'd love to see um, it. Yeah, I don't. And, know I, I, and
2: I and I'd love to, to to take what we're doing with Noah and and, and I think Noah's still there, <laughs> and 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 turn this into something that has at the intersection of humanities and music and politics and religion, um, and really make it create something that's universal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's universal there because punk the rawness of punk speaks to it's, it's transcendent
1: absolutely. right and you
2: could and not only is it transcendent but you can also probably draw a direct line even to today from uh, let's say the Sex Pistols to or the Ramones or Sex Pistols Ramones The Clash Nirvana
1: absolutely right Absol- absolutely you know uh, and and I guess I'm sensitive to this so I just want to repeat again that the transcendent quality is, you know, uh, it, it doesn't matter where it comes from. That transcendent quality is there, just like with the blues. You don't have to be black to feel the blues and to and to be moved by the blues. You don't have to be hell. You don't have to be a a, a Romany person to be moved by Django Reinhardt and what was called Gypsy music. Right? Uh, it, it's music. But where (laughs) it comes from, it taps into something that that people feel and people understand. And I think sometimes whatever series of coincidences historically happened to make a certain people kind of put it into words first, uh, because maybe it's more of a pressing issue for them at that time, doesn't mean it's not applicable to everyone, that everyone feels it on some level. I agree.
2: Noah, you're super pragmatic. I mean, you, you're not only a pragmatic person, but as an editor that's required as well to really look at stuff objectively. I mean, you had, this was a rush to create this great demo and you had to synthesize a lot of material. What was your impressions of, do you have any impressions of what it was to look at the, initially to try to synthesize this? I know we, we, we talked about having uh, Stephen as a glue to, to narrate even the demo, maybe the film. But what was it like to sort of look at that material? Because it's not really your scene, that kind of music, I don't think. No. But-
0: um, so when um, when I came onto the project, I think I was learning for the first time about a lot of this stuff. Um, I, you know, I'd heard of the Ramones and stuff like that. And I've listened to them, at, you know, a couple different points, but I, I had no idea of some of the stories and some of the culture and some of the, uh, some of the history of this stuff. And I think that it's not just something um, if it's told, right. It's not just something that, um, that uh, um, I, if there can be such a thing, punk nerds would, would care about, or just people who care about Jewish issues. It's it's a, it's a, uh, it's a cultural story that I think everybody can probably enjoy if it's done correctly, which would, you know, uh, I, I think you, you have to, it's tricky with something like this, because you have to be specific enough that you really get to the heart of of the, the thing, but you have to. It has to be broad enough that you can draw people in and get them interested. And so, I think that's probably. I think from a pragmatic standpoint, that's what we have to do.
1: I mean,
2: uh, you, oh, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, Sam. I, I agree with Noah. And I mean, we are of the other. You know, I mean, since the since the podcast is also a little bit about being be making films in Canada, yeah. um, we're, we're, we're tackling something that's you know considered American. I mean, it's it's much mm-hmm. broader than that, obviously. The punk movement. Europe.
0: Canadians love American stuff, though.
2: Okay, we but do. this isn't yeah, right. But this isn't even just American, right? It's, it's a lot of its, it's origins, its genesis is in Europe, whether it's the music or the you know the the, the, the you know World War II. So, um, and I think it's important to mention that that maintaining because I've been trying to make this film for like a decade. Uh, it's important. Yeah, to as filmmakers? What's
0: taking you so long, Evan?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Money, yeah, that's but, it. Um, but uh, isn't well, the that book came out, out in two thousand six. All right, I know, I know, I'm aware. <laughs> okay, um, but just the, the you know trying to sort of make this important and entertaining film, an impactful film, which has no real can Canadian content, right? So we have challenges mm-hmm. as filmmakers to want to take this on and make uh, kind of an international project, essentially. Right, and that's what we're trying to do yeah. here.
0: Yeah, but uh, Steve? if it's yeah, go ahead.
2: No, no, sorry, you're going to say what we're you going to say.
1: Sorry, no, I was going
0: to say if if you're passionate about it, I I think you can make it happen.
1: You're right, and there may be Canadian connections we're not aware of. <laughs> I wouldn't. Been... No, I mean, there's lots of you know bands and lots of individuals, and I wasn't asking them about that particular aspect. So there may, yeah, be... of course, not. I wasn't aware. Who uh, are from Canada originally, or you know, parents are from Canada. Well, hang
0: on, hang on, Evan. It's too broad if it's Jewish and Canadian. You're you're asking for too much here. Yeah, right, you've got, exactly. you got to dial it down. Oh boy, thing. oh
2: boy. How about yeah. sweet
1: bagels as opposed to, ah. you know, sweet, in that the Canadian bagel is like a sweeter tasting bagel. Oh Montreal god, versus it's New York. It's, bagel. It's, it's funny that
2: it's. I was thinking of, no, you know, it's funny you brought up the whole, like, Leonard Cohen as a punk, because now this is like the second straight podcast. Uh, a Leonard Cohen story has been brought up by our guest. Our, our
0: one famous musician.
2: <laughs> our one Dude, famous you know, I
1: was going to say some of my fa- favorite <laughs> Americans are actually Canadians, right? They're not American like Neil Young and uh, John right. Mitchell and, I don't know, uh, Mike Myers and... Uh,
2: Justin Bieber?
1: You know that punk... Yeah, I, Justin Bieber, my, he he has a house in Atlanta. My family's from Atlanta. Huh. When he was at his like height, we you, my parents have their name in the phone book. Right? it wasn't unlisted. So they would get calls from like teenage girls. Is Justin there? And if <laughs> mom answered the phone, she go, I'm sorry, it's not the same Bieber. If my dad answered the phone, he'd say, You know, I'm sorry, he just stepped out. So <laughs> I told my dad, I said, That's great. But you need to start saying, "I'm sorry, he just stepped out." If you send us twenty five dollars, we will send you a signed photograph hmm. of just, you know, by Justin. Um, you never took me up on it, unfortunately, and you know, Justin uh, never calls or writes, so I, you know, I haven't got. Are,
2: are you getting are you getting calls in Boston? Are you related to Justin Bieber? Is this? You know,
1: I am Justin Bieber. You've never seen us in the same room together, have you? you know, I looked very good back in my teens. I'm a little rough around the edges now, but you know, back then, I I had the uh, lesbian haircut. I looked really good. He, uh... <laughs> how did he get that haircut? I think it was like every lesbian was wearing that haircut. I don't know why it was a teen. Anyway,
2: it's hard, it's hard for me to like him as a, he's a Toronto Maple Leaf, like a diehard Maple Leafs fan. It's very hard for me to,
1: to like anybody who's a diehard Maple Leaf fan. So, Oh, yeah. Well, screw <laughs> him. Screw him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there are many, many other Canadians that I love. Uh, we're not going
2: to. We're not going to. Yes, but we're not going to compromise the, the, the integrity of the book to try to rope yeah. in some Canadian content. If it's not worth the Canadian content, we're not going to have to do that we're going to make the film based on what's
1: happening and again i don't think you know just what is punk that i mean that your question that's the ultimate i think goal in my book is not to say that it's necessarily jewish but it's much more complicated than the people have thought that it's all these i mean the thing people say oh punk originally was was it was it new york or was it uk that's what it always kind of boils down to, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, great, fine. Why? Why is it one of those? And then in UK, it's always that it was class. Well, that's interesting. In New York, it was always that it was gritty. The city was falling apart. Well, London was pretty rough, so that can't just be it. Why did it sound, why was it funnier? Why was it uh, more about weirdness than anger? Like the, the whole New York scene was a weird, twisted, you know, the Gabba Gabba Hay thing was all, was, was the pinhead, the freak, uh, from Todd Browning's film, Freaks. That's where they got that that saying from, gobble, gobble, hay. Have you ever seen the movie Freaks? I was a big monster yeah. fan as a kid. My dad took me to see it, one film that really scared me as a kid. I was like, oh my God, this is, and now it, you think about how offensive it was, but, you know, um, but that that aspect of it is so it's so unique and you have to kind of look and think just what made it what it was and it's fascinating it's so many different threads that are all super telling about the culture not just about punk it's not just for punks it's not just for jews it's about anybody who's interested in american culture at that time about new york about Uh, the effects of World War II on who we are today. Uh, I see that,
2: that to me, as someone who grew up after, you know, child of more of the nineties, the, the, um, I I know the bands, right. I don't know the, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know the origin stories, um, but World War, you know, so for me reading the book and talking to you and then having to create, finding that link between World War II and then the, 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 the evolution of the punk movement or the devolution of the punk movement. Um, you know, World War II, as far as I'm concerned, shouldn't even be taught as, as war. It should be taught as a humanities lesson of like the last of the culmination of the last basically 2,000 years of human history, culminating in the, you know, with what happens then. So, yeah. this incredibly traumatizing event for civilization, right? right? Of course, it would inform something as nihilistic as the punk movement or something as like raw. As the punk movement. So, after reading a book and listening to it, can entirely make sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, 1973 or so is when punk kind of starts bubbling under the surface in New York, right? So, you go back, what is it? 20, 53, 43, 43, 30 years back, it's during World War II. It's not even over yet. Like, so let's say 25 years. 25 years since 1973. I got to do some quick math here. 1998. Is 1998 that hugely different from 1973? I think parents and kids, they kind of all kind of like the similar music. They kind of understand each other. You know, you got grunge and punk, they're kind of similar. But you go back to 1943, you got like Sinatra and all that. It's a whole different world, in other words. Everything changed. And we are still in the the after effects. Like we we're still in whatever era you want to call it. It's all been kind of relatively a new world since that hasn't had a traumatic break into something new. So you got to understand what all that was, why it exploded in that year. Well, that's when the kids who grew up in the from the effects of the war, were coming into their own and creating their own expression of what it meant to be a person what it meant to be um in this new world it's an entirely different world it's I I I always marvel at at that right if you go from 1965 to 1945 they're nothing alike but if you go to 1965 to 85 they're not all that different yeah
2: yeah the pushback of what was happening at world events for sure. Yeah. Steve, this has been great. Uh, Noah, do you have anything you wanted to to add?
0: No, I'm, uh, I'm really pleased with how you guys, uh, discussed everything. This is a, it's a bit of a new world for me. So I'm just enjoying hearing you guys talk this time around.
2: Steve, I'm super excited. Thanks Noah. Steve, I'm super excited for the three of us to, uh, to make this film. I think it's, uh, it's, there's something terrifying about trying to make it because it's, um, it's not an easy fit. It's not an easy subject. And as Noah was saying earlier while he was cutting the trailer, uh, trying to sort of synthesize the material in a way that makes it accessible and yet moving and entertaining and enlightening, right? Because it's, you know, what's the, you, you teach creative writing and what, what's the, one of the first rules I remember, you know, reading creative writing books when I was, when I was in university, you know, studying my, my undergrad was partial creative writing is like, is this a movie? Is this a book? Is this a song? Is this a poem? What is this? And to tell the story of this book as a film with moving pictures and music is, is going to be exhilarating and really exciting, but also super challenging, right? To try to contextualize because there's so right. much that's there, right? There's so much right. there. And as a writer, you have, you have the ability right. to get through it in a book and call it a chapter, right? But in a film, in a documentary, it's going to be for all of us a much more different, different, different challenge.
1: How about a miniseries?
2: I'd love it. Hey. Anybody out there listening who wants to contact us to, to listen to a miniseries, we are more than happy to do that.
1: I mean, they, um, seriously, if you look at the book, the chapters, I try to divide them up into, on the one hand, individuals, by bio, little mini biographies of different essential people. But what they also represented in that bigger mix that made punk, because they all contributed some element Um including a whole chapter on women in punk, how women first start to have their own bands during punk and feminism. What, what element of punk was an a outgrowth of feminism. So, right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And there's going to be a balance making this film and trying to sort of tell the important stories of the link ups between the artists, but also, who can tell the story best, right? Who, which yeah. which artists that are still alive, who right. can tell the story of this, of this broader story, their story and the broader story, and that's yeah. also important, right? Because someone who you wrote and you may have interviewed might actually not be that great on camera. I would I would hazard to guess that many of these punk rockers would be great on camera, but some may not be able to tell the story as lucidly or clearly, cinematically right. as others.
1: Right? I mean, You have to sort Fair. of yeah. I mean, a lot of musicians are are kind of uh they're super articulate in music and not in words i mean just like me i'm not i can't make music so i can blather on i don't know how articulate i am but i i I, you know the words keep coming out when i should stop them from coming out i kind of have trouble stopping but yeah so that that could be uh, a possible issue but there are ways around that you know interview ask questions right yeah interesting question and a, uh uh uh, can lead to an interesting response, even if the person isn't immediately. I mean, that's what I found while talking to people. It's kind of just framing the question in such a way that um, giving the person an opportunity to to respond uh, in a manner that they maybe weren't originally, uh, you know, able to latch onto immediately. So, I don't know it's all doable all doable in my opinion easy peasy easy. i appreciate
2: I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate the optimism and swag um yeah. before we before where can um are you have anything anything coming out recently any articles that people should know about it's going to be out anytime soon anything that you're writing that's available soon or if not maybe provide us uh, with well, the
1: idea the novel is a little premature to mention so um related to to punk i don't i don't think i have anything uh coming out anytime soon i guess i recently had uh contributed to the yiddish daily forwards and now just the forward because it's not yiddish anymore uh they had asked me to contribute to the 150 greatest jewish pop songs and uh, i think i had a you know some a ramon song a Lou Reed song. I forget the ones I contributed, but I had a few. Which,
2: uh, which, uh, which, Ramon, which Lou Reed song did you choose?
1: Uh, Lou Reed, I think it was either the Black Angel's Death Song, which is on the first album, I felt it Underground and Nico, which I think is all about the killing fields of Poland and the legacy of that, if you listen to the lyrics. It's the song a lot of people, if they have a CD player, quickly pass over, because it's so <laughs> <laughs> right but you know what should be grading it's supposed to be um and uh the ramones i think was commando that which has the chorus you know first rule is the laws of germany second rule is be nice to mommy third rule is don't talk to commies fourth rule is eat coacher salamis which is like the the ramones in a nutshell like like the Beatles, they were four distinct personalities who came together as one and that's all of them uh, that's their their you know jewy jewy tommy um you know nice jewish boy joey the mommy be nice to mommy don't talk to commies is johnny the reactionary reaganite and uh, uh the laws of germany is didi whose father married a german woman he was a a, a gi uh, stationed in germany and so yeah. great
2: super cool where can people purchase the book
1: Oh God! Everywhere, everywhere. Local bookstore, Amazon. Write me. I've got copies. No, I don't know. You know, go online. It, it's good. It's always good to buy at a bookstore. I'm big on supporting bookstores. But if you can't, um, you know, uh, Amazon, the the evil empire that is Amazon. Uh, I use it occasionally. I can't be self righteous about it. Bookstores are great, and have been independent bookstores or the best.
2: We didn't even uh, we didn't even get into the title of the so the, the book title is the jeebies it's C B Jews we didn't even get into the CBGBs in this yep. in this podcast and we hopefully oh, will well, a we'll minute to no- yeah <laughs> you need <laughs> a minute I'll, I'll just say watch the film because we will you me and Noah will be featuring uh, what's left the remnants or at least anecdotes of CBGBs yes. in this film which yes. was kind of the, the temple the the synagogue of uh, the shul of where they played right. <laughs>
1: right i had my book launch on the last weekend of cbgb's it was closing after that weekend forever so I, it's like it was the last rocking shabbos it was on a friday night
0: <laughs> you know. nice how uh how can people contact you steven
1: oh i have a website um jupunk. <laughs> nice. that's
0: easy to remember
1: yeah, I I know. It, I used to have a column in Germany as the Jew punk until I got tired of being a professional Jew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh but they can write mm. me through there. I have a uh you know, email. And uh I, I don't think I want to give out my personal email. No, but, yeah. you know, write me at uh, I think you can write me at uh, bieber at Jewpunk.com? I know go to the website. Go to the website. It hasn't been updated in years, but it's still cool
0: if you click the link at the bottom that says uh steve lee beaver then you get a contact uh, uh email that's it you're email. on it right now yeah yeah
1: and and one thing guys before i forget i don't think i've ever mentioned to you evan or noah um it's something i keep meaning to put on the website uh i was at a taping of the daily show back when it was huge with john stewart wow and when he came out, you know, warm up the audience, I said, John, how would you like to be in a, a book about Jews and punk? He says, Jews always know the Jews, you know, right? But he kind of didn't really commit. Then during the show, he paused at one point uh, and just looked at the camera and said, You know, someone should write a book about Jews and punk. So I've got that on <laughs> camera. That's the, I think that should be the opening. To I the, think
2: you're, I think that's the opening of the film. I think that's this the has open. turned into. I think this has turned into a little bit of also a creative session to make this to make the doc. Yeah. I like that, Steve. Actually, that's a great. Yeah. I want to see that. That's great. It's
1: that's great. I have it. Oh, definitely should should send it to you. I don't know why I didn't think of it till now. And I'm sure John <laughs> is probably you know practicing his guitar today. We can get him to do talk some, about it some punk music for us.
2: No, no. the The trailer is available. The t- great. trailer's available on face, Facebook, but is there somewhere we can throw it up for the viewers? Sure, we'll put, put it, it in, the,
0: in the podcast notes if people want to okay. have a look at that, kind of get an idea of uh, what the the, uh, the film is
1: gonna be.
2: Yeah, for sure. Great. Thank you, great. Yeah.
1: Thanks guys, that was really Steve,
2: fun. Steve, this is great, a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten track from what we're doing, but I think we sort of tied it into being lazy Canadian filmmakers a little bit, <laughs> although not really, but you know, kind of semi-lazy filmmakers.
0: You made, you made a, a, a lazy effort. So it's, 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 it's on, I, I, it's on uh, brand.
1: I'm very, I'm not good at being Canadian, <laughs> but I'm a professional at being lazy. So excellent,
0: <laughs> you'll fit right in here Well, okay. as,
2: as a Bostonian and kind of like another, you know, with a French Catholic influence with lots of universities, exactly. you know, Boston and Montreal have a lot in common, actually. So
1: and they're right. And Lowell yeah. French Canadians and lower like Jack Kerouac.
2: So. Yeah. Kerouac has some links to, to Quebec for sure. Wow. Yeah oh yeah thank you so much thank you i shall be seeing you soon we shall be speaking soon all of us absolutely
0: and thanks everybody for listening thank you for listening you